We're going to be starting a new message series this, uh, this morning. Last week, uh, John finished up for us uh, the lesser-known quotes of Jesus. And uh, this is a nice kind of uh, follow-up to that, uh, because I think the lesser-known quotes of Jesus told us that, you know what, how we understand Jesus isn't necessarily the biblical Jesus, uh, because there's a lot of quotes and things that he said that really, even as a church, um, we don't talk a lot about. So we were looking at some of those uh, over the last several weeks, and honestly, we could have gone with that for uh, many, 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 many more weeks. Um, as kind of a follow-up to that, we're doing this series called Journey to the Sun, S-O-N, um, not S-U-N. And uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to just kind of take a closer look at who uh, Jesus was and is as the Son of God, and, um, and, and also what that means to us as we uh, follow him in faith. Um, we're just about three weeks uh, right now, this Sunday actually, since Christmas. And, uh, and so what I'm going to talk about today is really kind of a Christmas-type message, if you will. Um, it, it's a little theological, uh, a little brainy, but I think it's really important for us to understand who Jesus is uh, so that we can understand him correctly, uh, not only through the Scripture, but as, uh, as he relates to our lives. Um, so at Christmas, we celebrated the fact that um, Jesus was born in the flesh. Well, there's a fancy theological word for that, all right? So here's your education for today, and that's called the incarnation, okay? So the incarnation, you maybe have heard that uh, word before, uh, but what does it mean? It literally means to take bodily form, okay? So on Christmas, what we celebrate is that Jesus, that is... Uh, God uh, comes into body and bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, scripture declares that's what happened. Let's kind of just start with understanding the concept, and uh, let's take a look at John chapter 1, because I, th I think he says it the most cl clearly. This is verses 1 to 4 and verse uh, 14. John says it this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Okay? So at the very beginning of time itself, times a human concert, so just at the very beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, but not only was the Word with God, but the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, this is the incarnation. The Word was with God from the very beginning, is with God and is God. The Word does what? Incarnates, becomes flesh, and made his dwelling among us. And that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. There you have this concept of the incarnation, that God becomes flesh. Now, what's interesting is when we think about Jesus, and that is the incarnation, that God becoming flesh, we kind of think of it just in terms of, you know, really from Jesus' birth to Jesus' death. But it actually extends out much further from that, at least before it, the promise of the incarnation, Incarnation goes back to really the creation of mankind and the fall into sin, and we're going to see that. And, and, and the incarnation of Jesus, we're going to see, doesn't stop at just his death. 
let's look at Genesis 3, and we're going to see that that the, the incarnation of God was part of the plan from the, from the earliest of, of mankind. Genesis 3, 14 to 15. Now, this is after Adam and Eve fell into sin. This is part of the, the curse is God's cursing uh, man and creation and, and, and Satan himself. Uh, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, that is, since you've deceived his creation, the man and the woman, he said, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the animals. You're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust all of your days of your life. And I will put enmity. What's enmity? It's, a, it's an intense hatred. It's an intense hostility. He says, I'm going to put this intense hatred and this intense hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We see this as, as a prophecy, a, a promise at the very beginning of what would be the incarnation that is the offspring of the woman, the word made flesh, uh, the Messiah that would come in and free mankind. Now, it takes a long time for this promise of the incarnation to actually take place. We're talking about thousands of years. And so it finally comes to pass. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, 26 to 35. And this is your Christmas text. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Elizabeth is, is the, uh, the cousin of Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin that was pledged to be, a, 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 pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For you will conceive and you will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. So there we see the incarnation taking place as that promise is made to Mary. Jesus is born not by natural relation of a man and a woman, but through the Holy Spirit coming and in, in, in coming over and upon Mary and, and her giving birth to God incarnate, Jesus. Now, what's interesting then is so people oftentimes think, well, at then Jesus' death, then he stops being God-man, but that's not what Scripture teaches us. Look at John 20, 26 to 28. So this is after Jesus rose from the dead. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, uh, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And what does Thomas say? He says, my Lord and my God. So Jesus, like God is spirit. But Jesus is God, but made flesh. We see after the resurrection, Jesus didn't just raise in spirit. His body wasn't still hanging out in the grave. It was gone. Where was it gone? It was gone with Jesus. It was walking the earth with him. Now, it's a glorified body, and, and, and he is the son of God. So there's this whole, like, he just appears passing through the door, but he's still physical. Thomas is touching the wounds in his hands. He's touching the, the, the wound in his side. Not only that, we see another resurrection account where Jesus actually sits down and eats with some of his followers, okay? So Jesus is still united. He's still incarnate. He's still with his flesh. And what we see is when he goes to heaven, he's still the physical Jesus. Look at Acts 1, 7, 11. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud. It hid them from their sight. And as they were looking up into the sky, wondering where he's going... Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus, who in bodily form is being taken up into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. So you see, we think about the incarnation as kind of being like a, a Christmas event that lasts throughout Christ's life, but really it's a promise that's made at the beginning of, of mankind. And he's still going to be in human form when he returns. That's what the angels told him. He's not coming back as spirit. The same Jesus that you're physically looking at in the same way that he's going to heaven, that is the way that he's going to return. Now, why is it important to have a strong understanding of what the incarnation means? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you just, just a few reasons. And the first is this. In the incarnation of Jesus, that is God becoming flesh, God becomes relatable or more relatable to man. Mankind has always had this understanding of God. All throughout the world in different cultures, there's been an understanding, a concept of God. But how can you understand a God when we're not? How can you, how can you understand that which is spirit and that which you cannot see? You can't. And that's why, like, People thought volcanoes were gods. 
and they would worship that power of the volcano. And when it's erupting, God is mad. I mean, they've got this, like, it's burnt on their heart, this concept of there being a God, but they, they don't understand it. And then, like, for some, the sun, S-U-N, was a God, or maybe the planets, or, or maybe like even the elements like the ocean and different things like that. And, and even in like the Old Testament, even amongst Israel, what do they do? They make a golden calf, like an object uh, uh, that represents their God and there's idols and so forth. You see what I'm saying is like, God cannot be conceived because he's so much greater than what we are. But when Jesus becomes flesh, now we can relate to God. Now we can see God because Jesus is God made flesh. Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have the same mindset of Christ. Who what? Who being in very nature God. Not sort of like God, not resembling God, but who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Another translation you'll see is not something that can be grasped. It can't be used for his advantage if he comes as the fullness of God. It's not something that could be grasped. So he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you see, in, in the incarnation, now we can begin to understand God because we see God in Jesus and, and, and who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And I don't think we always get that, that like when we're reading about Jesus in the Bible, you know, we're, we're, we're reading about God. The disciples didn't get it either. Look at John 14. Uh, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us God. Lord, show us the Father. If you just show us God, that's going to be enough. Then we will know. Then we'll see. Then we'll understand. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, for anyone who has seen me has seen God. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how is it that you can say, show us the Father? So first and foremost, why is the incarnation a big deal? Because if you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. And, and like, I'm giving you this brainy sermon today, and I try not to. But if we see God by seeing Jesus, it's kind of important for us to get to know Jesus. That's why I did the sermon series and the lesser-known teachings of Jesus, because you need to know, like, the real God. Not this, like made up God that we like to teach our people. Second reason that the incarnation's a big deal is uh, the incarnation is, is necessary to repair that relationship with God and man. The incarnation is necessary to fulfill the law. You see, after man fell into sin, be, before man fell into sin, there wasn't really a need for a law because we weren't sinful. 
But after man falls into sin, God gives a law and, and salvation is found through obedience to that law. But the problem is, is once we fall into sin, we can't be obedient to it. It's like before we fall into sin, we don't need it because you're just naturally going to do it. But after you fall into sin, you do need it, but it ain't going to completely help because you can't do it perfectly. And, and so it was required for a man to come and do what the original man failed to do. Look at Galatians 2.21. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see, righteousness cannot be obtained through the law because mankind doesn't have the ability to fulfill the law themselves. We needed God's help. That's why Jesus came into this world. It's kind of like if you have an eight-year-old an eight-year-old can't do it all themselves. They need your help. They can't cook. I mean, they can. I mean, they can make a PB&J. Could probably throw some stuff in the microwave. But you probably don't send your eight-year-old out to, like, fire up the grill. You probably don't put your eight-year-old over the gas stove to do some cooking. It, an eight-year-old can ride their bike to get some friend's house around the corner or whatever, but they can't drive a car to get across town. You got to help with that. An eight-year-old can dress themselves, but they don't have the means to go and buy their own clothes. They need your help with that. If, if, if it could have been done by us doing it ourselves, Christ died for nothing, but it couldn't be done that way. It, we needed God's help. And so Jesus was born under the law so that he could fulfill the law by obeying the law. Look at Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, he says, but I have come to fulfill them, to obey them in that way that Adam and Eve did not, to obey them in a way in which you and I could not. So the incarnation is so incredibly important because now we can grasp in still a limited way, but we can grasp God in a much greater way than what we otherwise could. We know him not to be a volcano. <laughs> the incarnation was important because Jesus fulfilled the law in a way that you and I cannot. And then the incarnation is really important because now we can know for sure that God can relate to us. You see, there's this concept of unless you've done it, how do you know? How do you know what it's like? For those of you who maybe grew up with more Catholic roots and you want to go to the priest for some marital advice, how do you go to someone who's never been married to give marital advice. What does the priest know about marriage? And if you're going to go to the priest about parenting advice, what does a priest know about being a parent? They're not married. They don't have kids. How do they know? And we dismiss it as, well, they don't. I remember 
back when I was finishing college, I finished it uh, a, a little bit early, and uh, I had been working at this place at the daycare there, and they lost their um, uh, the director of daycare. And so for the last seven months or so, uh, or maybe a little bit longer, before I went to seminary, I was actually the daycare director. And, uh, and it was interesting being a uh, 22-year-old male Back in that day, let alone this day, but especially back in that day, a 22-year-old male director of a daycare. First of all, I'm a male. What do I know about kids? Secondly, I'm 22 years old. What do I know about anything is the perception, right? And though I, I feel like I did a decent job and my boss felt like uh, I did a, a, a decent job, inevitably, whatever I was working on and decisions I would make, there'd be two or three, usually the same women who would just kind of attack it because what do I know? It's that same thing with, with, with the incarnation. I mean, can God know what it's like to be human without being human? I don't know, maybe, probably, I mean, he's God, but we don't have to guess. We can know. Why? Because he became man. He walked a mile in our shoes, right? As a cliche goes, he walked 33 years in them. So as you and I are praying to God because of the temptation that we have in our lives, as we're saying what Paul's saying, oh, you know, that which I want to do, I, I, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, that I keep on doing, God, you know, have mercy on me, the wretched sinner that I am. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. God knows what it's like. Because when Jesus walked this earth, part of his walking at the very start of his ministry is that he specifically went out to be tempted by Satan. So as you're wrestling with those temptations in your life and you're praying to God, he gets it. You know, we get tired sometimes. Guess what? God knows what tired feels like. Jesus felt it. Sometimes you get frustrated in life, and as we're praying to God about that, as we're processing that with God, God knows what it's like to be frustrated. Read the Bible. Jesus got frustrated a few times. He constantly was getting frustrated with the Pharisees. He got a little frustrated in the temple and decided to turn a few tables over. Jesus got frustrated. Sometimes we have to struggle with disappointment in life. I, I think Jesus was disappointed a few times as we read the Bible. Even a heartbreak or, or sadness or hurt, we see when we read the scripture that when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, he cries. So as you're struggling with things in, in, in your life, when you're struggling with a hurt of, of losing a loved one, God knows. Hunger, God knows. Loneliness, God knows. I mean, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, uh, like the crowd start yelling, crucify him, and his disciples disappear. And so there's an amazing sense of like relatability and comfort in knowing that God knows exactly what it is that we're going through. So the incarnation helps us to know God better. It helps us to at least feel better that he knows us better. And it fulfills the law in a way that we never could. Now, when Christ goes into heaven, he really gives Jesus was God incarnate, so people saw God in Jesus. That, that's a role that he then gives to the church and to us as Christians. 
And I have to tell you, like, that has always been what has been important to me about ministry is that through the ministry that I do, through the sermons that I preach, that, that I try to help people understand God more. That's why I'm giving you this message. I get it's brainy. I get it's not as inspirational as what I try to do, but I need us all to see God, to understand God better, to, to relate to God better. And so ministry and our lives as Christian ought to be incarnational. That is through us, people can see God. Wait, haven't you known some people in your life that it's like, man, you just kind of see God in them and through them? I mean, I have, I hope you have. That's what God calls for us to do and to be as a church and as Christians. And honestly, I think it's more of a challenge now in this world today than what it's ever been before because God has been so distorted. And that's why I did the lesser known teachings of Jesus. It's why I'm doing this journey to the sun so that we might know who the true God, the God of the Bible is because he's been so distorted. We live in a day and age in which good is considered evil and evil is considered good. And so when you flip those two around, you really flip around who God is. And really that's always been one of Satan's ploys is if you can confuse people to who God is, then God disappoints and then people either believe in a false God or they don't believe in God at all. And that's what Satan does with Adam and Eve at the very beginning. When God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan comes in and says, did God really say that? And they're like, uh-huh, he did. Oh, well, if he said that, listen, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to have this knowledge. You're not really gonna die. You're just gonna be like God's yourselves. And he comes and he just distorts it. And that's the world in which we live. Like this concept of God has been distorted. And when the concept of God is distorted, God's going to disappoint. And how does God disappoint? If God disappoints, he's not much of a God. But it really goes back to my Christmas message is the reason that the Jews miss Jesus is God disappointed, if you will. They were expecting a different Messiah than the one God was promising and sending. And so same thing for us today. If we have the skewed concept of who God is, what his work is and what he does, what he does, he's going to ultimately disappoint and we're going to believe in a false God or we won't believe in God at all. And ultimately, you know, having this kind of incarnational ministry is important because, you know, if you help people to see Jesus, they'll believe. Do you remember the story in the Bible of a man named Zacchaeus? That wee little man, that wee little man was he. <laughs> Jesus was walking through the streets of town and, and he couldn't see Jesus, but he climbs this tree so that he can see over the crowds and see Jesus. And then seeing Jesus, like he, he comes to faith and seeing Jesus, he surrenders, if you will, his life to Jesus. And seeing Jesus, he, he repents of his sin. And in any way that he stole, as he was a tax collector, he stole from people, he repaid it four times because the act of seeing Jesus helps him to believe. It, saw, it helped Thomas. Jesus said to Thomas, you're only believing because you see, but seeing is powerful. 
So the question is, is as a church, we're called to have an incarnational ministry. That is, when Jesus was on this earth, he showed people God. Now he's not here. So his church, our church, the believers, you guys and me, we're supposed to show people God. How can we do that? And how should we do that? Three things and then, then I'm done. The first is through something called evangelism that we've got to tell people about God. Tell people about Jesus because in seeing Jesus, they see God. Look at what Romans 10 says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they believe into the one that they've never heard? You can't. And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And the answer is, is like, you can't. That's what God has called for us to do is to share who he is in the story of Jesus so that, that they might believe and they might come to faith. So I want to ask you, like, how often are you like telling people about Jesus? How often are you inviting people to church? How often are you inviting them to a Bible study? How often are you, as they are struggling in different things in their lives, giving testimony of your faith? Now, some of us are very outgoing, and, and, and man, we can meet a stranger and do that. And, and if we can, then we need to be doing that. Some of us aren't nearly as outgoing, and maybe that's done more through a closer relationship. However that's done, whether you're outgoing or you're more reserved, you got to be doing it. And I'll put a challenge to you this year where, you know, we're still kind of new into 2023. Do it at least three or four times this year. As some of you are like three or four, I should be doing it three or four times. Yeah, you should, but let's make it a, a, a bite-sized goal so that we might achieve it. If I tell you to do it three or four times a, a day, it'd be like, you know, why don't you read five chapters of the Bible a day? You're just like, I can't do it. I can't keep up and, and you just don't do it. So how about just like three or four? How about identifying a person or two in your mind right now on people that you, you can share your faith with, your testimony with, maybe invite them to church, maybe invite them to a Bible study, what have you. Because how are they going to hear if no one tells them? Another way that we can do this as a church and as Christians is we help people see Jesus through our work and through our action. That we're called to be uh, God's light. Look at Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. What's your light? Well, your light is how you show the love of God so that they might see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. That part of the incarnational ministry of Christ is that they see God through you. They see that light and that glory comes to God. And, and that's done through the uh, being the hands and feet of Christ. Now, who are you? Okay, so the first question is, is who are we evangelizing to? Who are we sharing out, with, out of our mouth that message with? Then the next question is, is who are we being the hands and feet of Christ with? Some of you are like, well, my kids, maybe my parents or parents. Good. 
and hopefully they see Christ in you. And if they haven't for the last 30 years, they probably won't in the next three months. So aside from our close family members in which relationally we're kind of obligated and we ought to do that, who else are we being the hands and feet of Christ to? Who else are we serving to? Not because we have to, not because there's an expectation to, but in a way that they can just see the goodness of our acts and God can be praised. So you see, we, we do it through our mouths proclaiming who Christ is. We do it through our actions. That is the works of our hands and our feet. And then thirdly, and lastly, we do it this way. We do it by imitating God. How can we mere people imitate God? Well, look at Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, as his church, see, Christ is back into heaven. But as his church, we're to be that incarnate ministry for people to see through our words of evangelism, through our actions of our hands, uh, but then through our actions and our attitudes of actually imitating God, that we mere humans actually have the ability to, to imitate God. Now, we're told to do that for our own good because th that's how we're to live and be. But we're also told to do that so that People might see God themselves. And once again, we're in a very dark world. And there's so many false imitators of who God is. That's why I did that last Bible series of, of, of lesser known teachings of Jesus, because we have all these false views of who God is. It's why I'm trying to teach you what, why it's important to understand the incarnation, this, this very central, uh, this central theology, the central teaching in terms of our relationship with God. And, and there's so many churches and so many pastors and they're just kind of giving feel-good messages and they don't really talk about, you know, sin and all this. They're not imitating God. And we're called to imitate God. And so in the church, we don't really imitate God very clearly. And society's always attacking God. And man, I read this. I, didn't, I don't know that I even read the whole story, but the sickening story, of a singer I don't even know, but like Demi Lovato, maybe you guys know it. She apparently did this poster, this album cover that was so bad, it was actually banned because it was offensive to Christians. Now, I have to tell you, I'm 50 years old. I don't remember anything in my lifetime ever being banned because it was so offensive to Christians. I, I read a little bit about it. Man, it's offensive. That just tells you how bad it is. So if we have a false witness of God amongst the church and Christians and our understanding of who God is, and if culture's constantly attacking uh, the, who God is, how the more important it is for us is, is the true followers of God in Christ Jesus that we imitate him so people might see God in us. And that's why it's a big deal when like you cuss like a sailor. I mean, is it the worst thing you could do? No, but I mean, are, are you imitating God when you're like being foul-mouthed? No, that's why it's not a good thing when we get drunk and the Bible tells us not to get drunk because you're not being a very good imitator of God 
when you are. It's not, it's why, you know, it might be legal for marijuana, but you're getting stoned. You're not being an imitator of God when you get stoned. You're not being an imitator of God when, when, when you are angry or, or, or just vengeful or acting inappropriately. God's called for the church and called for Christians to be imitators of him that we might see God through us. One of my favorite forms of comedy are when people do impersonations. I think that's the coolest thing in the world that like someone that's clear, clearly not that person can cause you to believe it's that person just because the way that they talk and their mannerisms look exactly like that person. That's what we're called to be, to imitate God. So though we are not, people might see God through us. Show someone God this week. Show someone Jesus this week. Because the incarnation helps us to know that God is real. It helps us to know that God understands us. And it encourages us to make God real to others. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we thank and praise you for this morning. And um, we thank you for the gift of your son who revealed you to us fully. And I just pray, gracious God, that as we walk out our faith, that we would be better imitators of you, that we would be mindful of, of our actions and of our deeds, that we would be quick to be your hands and feet so people might see the light of you in us and give glory to you. And that gracious God, we would be willing to speak and to share you with others because we know that unless we do, how can they hear if no one tells them? Help us, gracious God, as we've been the recipient of the amazing gift of the incarnation of your son, to have that same type of mindset and ministry so that others might see you through us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.